Um, I grew up in a tiny, um, tiny rural United Methodist Church in the hills of Pennsylvania. And um, I'm grateful to this day for that spiritual upbringing. I had a Sunday school teacher who sowed the Word of God into me, and uh, she was relentless. Uh, and I'm grateful for her. Uh, someday I tell her every time I see her when she gets to heaven, there is a reward just for what she sowed into me. Uh, it, am I exaggerating, Dave? She is an amazing... Yeah, yeah Dave, Dave and I think she could possibly be an angel if she's never married. Uh, she is amazing. And uh, I'm grateful for that upbringing in that church before the United Methodists became liberal. Um, I loved my church. We would have... Uh, revival meetings once a year. Now I'm dating myself, but um, they were week-long meetings where the church would invite in a visiting charismatic uh, evangelist. And he would come in and he would preach up a storm and he would challenge us to look at our spiritual lives and he would, he would awaken our souls and, and he would challenge us to get into the word, to study and to pray. And, and those week-long meetings had a huge influence in my life. I loved them. I loved as a little girl to sit in the pew and just watch people scurry, scurry out of the, the aisle, out into the aisles and up to the altar where they would just cry out to the Lord in repentance. And, and it changed the scope of our church. It was amazing. And uh, I looked forward to those meetings every year. And tonight I would like to talk on that very subject, the subject of revival. Interestingly enough, I looked up the word revive in the Cambridge Dictionary, and it defines the word revive as to come back to life, to come back to life. I wonder if anyone here tonight needs some revival, some spiritual CPR, so to speak. Uh, I, I want you to, to note that you have to bring something back to life. That, that implies they've already been living. They've already tasted of life and just need to be revived. That means, to me, that means that there's a difference between revival and evangelism. Would you agree? Ray Pritchard, one of my favorite preachers, says, evangelism is preaching the gospel to the lost that they might be saved. Revival awakens the saved from a state of spiritual slumber. When God sends revival, the church wakes up. Or to give a more formal definition, revival is the sovereign act of God whereby he calls his backsliding people to a place of repentance, faith, and new obedience in him. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight. But would you just first pray with me? Father, that is the cry of my heart daily that you revive my soul. That you take me from a place of spiritual complacency and that you breathe new life into me through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm aware of the spiritual command to be ye filled. It's a continuous ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. But Lord, just like I have to plug my, my cell phone into a wall to recharge it, Lord, we have to be intentional about being recharged in the Holy Spirit. I pray that tonight would be a recharging, a time of great recharging, Lord. Father, I'm mindful that without you, I can do nothing. And so, Lord, I ask that you'd have mercy on me tonight and that you would fill my mouth with your words and that I would only say what you want me to say in this place. Lord, I'm also mindful that hearts can be hardened to your word. And so I'm asking you, Father, to soften the hearts 
and the minds of every man and woman in this place tonight. That you would break up the unplowed ground of our hearts, Lord, and ready it to receive the seed of your word. And I ask, Lord, that your word tonight would produce a harvest, not 20, not 30, not 60, but a hundredfold harvest in this place. We love you, Lord. And we give you such glory and honor and praise for you are so deserving of it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, you can open it to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. There isn't any other passage that has been used more often to preach about revival than this very passage. And that's what I'd like to look at tonight. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now you need to know that Solomon's temple was just completed. And the, the chapter previous to this, chapter 6, what we read of Solomon's prayer of dedication for that temple. And so when verse 1 begins, when Solomon had finished praying, he was praying about the dedication of the temple to the Lord. And the fact that fire came down from heaven uh, was, it was indicative of the Lord accepting the sacrifices that were being made and the building of that temple. He was saying, I will dwell in this temple. Verse 2, and the priest could not enter the, glory, the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord in the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God, and the priests attended their services. The Levites also with instruments of, the, uh, of music of the Lord, which King David had made to praise the Lord, saying, for his mercy endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priests sounded trumpets opposite them while all of Israel stood. Furthermore, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings. Because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fat. At the time, Solomon kept the feast seven days and all of Israel with him. A very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly. For they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents joyful and glad of heart for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. Thus, Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord in his own house. Then, this is what I want you to focus on. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. 
when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. Notice that verse 1, it says Solomon had finished praying. I, I really like the, I think it's the, the new King James, or the King James, it says when Solomon had made an end to praying. I, I love it. Because I, I need to tell you that prayer moves the heart of God. Do you know that? Prayer moves the heart of God. It brings fire down from heaven, and it ushers in the glory of the Lord. Scripture says that fire came down from heaven, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. That was visible evidence, as I said before, of God's approval and his acceptance of the sacrifice, his willingness to dwell in the place that Solomon had made for him. I want you to note that the priest could not even enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the place. The priest uh, could not even stand to minister. Oh, don't you wish that was happening in churches today? That the glory of the Lord was so heavy and, and so strong in the place that the ministers of the, of the word couldn't even stand to minister. Notice that when all the people saw how the fire came down, uh, their faces hit the ground. And I love this. It says that, they, that it hit. Look at this in verse 3. It says, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement. I wrote in my margin of my Bible, they became pavement people. Oh, I want to be a pavement people. I want to be somebody whose face is bowed to the ground in worship. I want to be somebody who seeks the Lord until the glory comes through prayer. Do not want to be a pavement person. Alan Carr says, before rival, revival can become a reality, the people of God must meet four demands mentioned in verses uh, 12, 13, and 14. Meeting these four demands does not guarantee that revival will happen, but it does create an atmosphere which becomes possible and far more likely. So let's look at those verses 12 through 14. The word says that, solid, that the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer, the prayer that he uttered in chapter 6. He said, and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. He says, when, and I want you to notice, he says, when, not if. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or when I command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. I want you to note that God said when, not if. See, some of you are in a time of dryness right now. You're in a time where you feel like the locusts are devouring everything in your life and you have nothing. It's everything is being eaten away in front of you. Can I tell you it's when, not if. And God says, when I do this, we talked about that at length last week in Hebrews 11. But notice what God says to Solomon in verse 12. He says, I have heard your prayer. Does that bring comfort to anybody besides me that God hears our prayers? He says, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Notice he doesn't say a house of fellowship. Hmm. Notice he doesn't say a house of prayer, although it is that. 
Those things are great. The church is a place of fellowship. It's a place of prayer. But I want you to see what God calls it. He calls it a house of sacrifice. Oh, my heart is just grieving. You can ask Dave. It's been heavy on my heart all week long. I saw the, the, the Molson Coors shooting this week, and, and I, was, I was tied to, the, to the, 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 report, the news report. I just kept watching it all day long. It was in the background as I worked, and Dave came in, and he said, Rhea, why are you so captivated by this? I said, Davey, those people got up that morning to go to work. They kissed the people they loved goodbye. They, they believed that they would be home for dinner, and six people didn't come home that day. It rocked my world. I went to their Facebook pages because I wanted to see what they looked like. I wanted to see what their families were like because I was so aware that they got up that day thinking life was normal, life was good, everything was going on as it should go, and in one moment, everything changed. Did that grieve anybody besides me? This week, as I was working and interacting with people, the grocery store, friends, uh, just acquaintances, hearing stories of people, watching how people react, I was sensitive to it. I was grieved by unkindness, impatience. I, I, I grieved, church. Dave and I were just talking about this tonight. I'm grieved. The team and I were praying about this in prayer tonight. I'm grieved at the unkind things that come out of our mouths, how impatient we can be with people, how busy we are, how much gossip we can partake in. We are God's people called by his name to represent him. All of heaven is for us. The power of God lives within us, and yet we participate in those things like it's nothing. We live life like we have forever. I'm grieving over this. I'm grieving that even in the church, this stuff goes on. That should be the last place we see it. Gossip, division, discord, disunity, it should not be. We should look different than the unbeliever down the street, not participate in the same things they're doing. We don't know how much time we have. We need him to revive our souls. We need him to revive our souls. He says, this is a house of sacrifice. I'm sorry, church. One of the things, I, I, I know, hey, I, some of you have been with me for, what, for 20 years. You've been sitting under my teaching. and It's my constant prayer. The team reminded me tonight in prayer that I prayed from day one that, that this would not just be a Bible study, that this would be a place where an army is being prepared. Where you are becoming more and more like Jesus. That the word you hear does not tickle your ears, but it changes your heart. It changes my heart. Because you see what that takes is sacrifice. That's why, that's why we're not packed out. <laughs> because it's a hard word to hear because it requires sacrifice on our part. It requires us to say no to what the unbelievers down the street are saying yes to. We should look different. We are a people called by his name. Called to represent him. Sacrifice is costly. So notice God says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or locusts come to devour the land or I send pestilence. 
Notice he does that. We talked last week about him using those things to train us, to correct us, to instruct us. God is saying uh, to Solomon, there are consequences for disobeying his commands. And then he clearly gives the solution that is needed. That's needed to avoid those consequences. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Look at those if-thens. If my people do this, then I will do that. That tells me that there's a choice involved, that I have a choice whether or not I do it. But there's very much an if-then statement coming from God. Notice he says, they're my people called by my name. And, uh, you know, there are commentaries I read that there there are are mindsets, even in preachers, who will say that this passage, it, it doesn't apply to the church today. That it's Old Testament, it's for God's people. Well, last time I looked, we were one. We were God's people. Yes, it was initially written for for Israel, but but look at 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture, that means all, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That means all scriptures, old and new. In fact, some commentators say the word scriptures in 2 Timothy means Old Testament scriptures. That Old Testament scriptures were written for our benefit to train us in righteousness. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, 10, 11, and 12 says, Now these things happened to them as our example, but they were written down for our instruction. That means 2 Chronicles 7 was written down for our instruction. 2 Peter 2.10 says, or 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received my mercy. You see, we are his people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. So God is speaking to us. He's speaking to people who have identified with him, believers, not unbelievers here. Remember, we're talking about revival, not evangelism. I've always looked at these as individual activities. I I need to uh, uh, humble myself. I need to pray. I need to seek his face, and I need to repent. That's how I've always looked at this, this passage. And this week, I read a commentator that said something fascinating to me. He said, the activities of humbling... Praying, seeking, and turning should be understood as four facets or aspects of the act of biblical repentance. He's saying repentance covers all four of those aspects. That humbling, praying, seeking, and turning are all one part of of repentance. It's interesting if you look at it that way. But these are stipulations that God is laying down to experiencing his blessings. I, I want you to know that. See, sometimes I think, well, we, we, uh, you know this is my soapbox, that we, we so cheapen grace that we don't think righteousness matters. And so God is saying that, that there are stipulations to receiving some blessing. And this is one of them. You have to humble yourself. That word humble means to be subdued under, to be under, to be brought into subjection. It has the idea of being under another. It's the understanding that he is God and we are not. That he is Lord and we are not. 
and we humble ourselves and we put him under, we put ourselves under his lordship or his authority. That means what he says goes. Those are the people that God says he exalts. He exalts the humble. He brings down the proud. Andrew Hill says we need to subdue one's pride and submit in self-denying loyalty to God and his will. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they will put themselves under my lordship and do what I say, follow my will for their life. And then he says, and if they'll pray, and that word pray, one commentator said prayer is, is just humility in action. And I really like that. Prayer is humility in, in action. It's recognizing that in ourselves, we can do nothing. Just like John 15, 5 says that, 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 that uh, without me, he says, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit because without me, you can do nothing. And that's what prayer is, recognizing I need to come to you, Lord, because without you, I can do nothing. Smith Wigglesworth, one of my, I just love Smith Wigglesworth. If you've ever wanted to just read some great stories, get a book on Smith. And he says, I never pray more than 20 minutes, but I never go more than 20 minutes without praying. I really like that. You see, he understood as did Jesus. This week I started to go through scripture. I was going to teach on prayer and I started to do some study on it. And I began to look at every time that Jesus withdrew to be with the Father fascinating. You wonder where his power came from because he was a man just like us. He got his power from being with the father. Uh, anybody have a cell phone? Can I borrow your cell phone, dear one? Sure. <laughs> Sarah. Sarah's cell phone is powerful. Oh, I think it's not an apple though. It's I'll forgive you. I'll still use it. <laughs> I teasing you. But I love cell phones. I especially love my Apple phone. I can do so many fun things with that thing. Can I not? I mean, I can call other countries. I can, I can do some amazing things with this cell phone. But if I don't charge up this cell phone, it's worthless, isn't it? It's, it's not any good to me at all if I don't keep it charged, if I don't keep it plugged in. All those awesome things I can do when it's charged up are, are no longer available to me. It has to stay charged up. It has to stay plugged into a power source to be any good to me. And I'm telling you that you and I, our life should be... The Bible says that signs and wonders will follow those who believe. See, this is my pet peeve. People who chase after signs and wonders. Let's go over here to this conference and let's follow this speaker. Chasing after... But when I read my Bible, I read that signs and wonders will follow me, those who believe. Do you see the difference? And, and why are we, Deb, how are you, sweet friend? Good to see you. Why are we not seeing all kinds of power in our lives? Why are signs and wonders not an everyday occurrence in our lives? I believe because we're not staying plugged in to the power source, and we do that through prayer. Can I tell you? How often, or can I ask you how often you charge your cell phone? Anybody? Every day, nightly. Dave and I have a little portable charger that we take with us because daily is not usually enough for us. Um, how often do you pray? What we need, what we are seeking, the answers we need are found only in God. And so we pray. Prayer is about relationship. It's about connecting Davey and I are married. We're in, we're in covenant with one another. 
We live together. But if that's all that we did, if while living together and being in covenant together, if all we did was pass like ships in the, in the night, would we have relationship? We'd still be in covenant, wouldn't we? But we would not have relationship. We would not have intimacy. Intimacy requires me sitting with Dave and talking with him, uh, getting to know him, sharing my heart with him, listening to his heart. And that's what prayer is. It's that simple. It's just sitting with God and getting, sharing your heart with him and, and getting to know his heart and spending time with him. We can still be in covenant with God and not pray. We can, but we will not have intimacy. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And then he says, and seek my face. Oh, I love this. That word seek means to require, to desire, to seek, to find, to demand, to strive after, to search. It's used in desperate situations in which only God is the only possible hope for deliverance. It implies desiring something, requiring them for every breath that you take. As I was writing this, the, the song kept coming to my mind. You know the, the song, Holy Spirit? The first verse says, there's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your spirit, Lord. Your presence, Lord. I love it. There's nothing worth more. Nothing can compare to his presence in our life. He's better than life itself. And that's why we are to seek him with all our heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when. <laughs> you will seek me and find me. Say it with me. When you seek me with all your heart. You see, we, we don't find him because we're not seeking him with all of our heart. Marcus Antoni and Antonius says, the true worth of a man is to be measured by the objects he pursues. The true worth of a man is to be measured by the objects he pursues. See, God wants us to pursue him and him alone. He doesn't want us to have any other gods before him. He wants us to have undivided heart. God is giving us the, the, the blueprint here for escaping spiritual doldrums, <laughs> for, for escaping that spiritual complacency that we get inside of us. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they'll pray and seek my face, notice he says my face, not my hand. That word face means presence. He'll seek my presence, not my hand. The word seek, as I said, means to desire something, to strive hard after it. I was thinking about my diamond ring. It's about the only thing that I have besides my family that, that matters to me, my relationship with the Lord, obviously, but I mean physical things. And it's important to me just because Davey gave it to me. And I was thinking if I lost my diamond, would I just be like, oh, I'm going to look around for it, didn't find it. Would I do that? It's valuable to me. It might not be valuable to you, but trust me, if I lost it, I would be seeking it with everything I had. I'd be striving. I'd be, I'd, I would not give up. I'd be relentless in my pursuit of that lost diamond ring. This is not a casual seeking that he's talking about here. It's that kind of pursuit that doesn't give up till it finds him. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. 
This verse means we're to get serious about our relationship with God, serious about reading his word, serious about time and prayer and obeying his commandments, to seek his face and not his hand. He says, and turn from their wicked ways. That, that, it's so interesting that those things, humbling ourselves, praying and seeking his face, those are all things that we're turning to God for. But it's not enough just to turn to God. <laughs> we have to turn away from the world. Away from sin. Do you see it there? Many, uh, one of the scriptures that bothers me so much, and by the way, it's a New Testament scripture for you Old Testament people. <laughs> it says, in that day, many. And if you look it up, it means many in number. Many will say, Lord, Lord. They're calling him Lord. They think he is. Did we not cast out demons in your name? I, I, I won't get theological on you, but if you want to have this discussion, I will have it with you. <laughs> you cannot cast out a demon if you're not a believer. Do you know why I say that? Sons of Sceva. What happens? The demons say, Jesus I know, Paul I know, I don't know you. And he, they jump on them. And it's because they, they, they recognize Paul's relationship with God. They recognize Jesus' relationship with God, but they did not recognize the sons of Sceva's. Many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do miraculous things in your name? And Jesus says, and I will say, away from me. I never knew you. And that word know there means, to, it's a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. It means to know intimately. He's saying, I know you because you came to church. <laughs> I know you because you went through the religious motions, but you never knew me intimately. You never had an intimate relationship to me. So away from me, I never knew you. I'm sorry if that scares you. I'm sorry if that doesn't make you feel good on a Monday night. I'm sorry if you leave with that scripture deep within your soul and it bothers you all week and you don't want to come back next Monday night because you're convicted. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Because that is what the word of God should do. That is, those are Jesus' words. They're in red. And just because we're not preaching them from the pulpit anymore does not make them any less truth. And church, until we start preaching the word of God again, until we return to an unadulterated preaching of the word of God, lives will not change. Amen. Amen. So the word turn there means to return, to turn back, to turn back to God, to refresh. Because you see, when we turn back to God from our sin, we get refreshed. It means to repair. I love that. This, I'm not making this up. This is the exact word. This is the Hebrew meaning of this word. It means to refresh and repair. See, some of you are hurting. Some of you are so broken. Some of you are so messed up. And it's because you need to just turn back to God. Turn from your sin. Turn from your wickedness. And watch him repair and refresh. We need to withdraw from behaviors that the world says are acceptable and okay and turn towards God. One of my scriptures I pray all the time, I sit before the Lord and I'll say, Lord, examine me and see if there's any wicked way in me. You say, well, Rhea, you should know if there's a wicked way in me. No, the Bible says that we're deceived by the pride of our heart. <laughs> I do not want to see it. Can I just tell you? It's easy to see in everybody else, but I don't like to see it in myself. And so I'm purposeful about sitting before the Lord and saying, Father, can you just examine me right now? Can you just see 
if there's any wicked way of me, and can you put your finger on it? Because it's ugly, Lord, and I don't want to get away with it. Last week we left, and Davy said, Rhea, you are too hard on yourself in the pulpit. I said, excuse me? <laughs> and he said, you're too hard on yourself. He said, you throw yourself under the bus. And I said, Davy, you, you, and I said, give me an example. And he said, well, you were talking about the things that came out of your mouth. And I said, baby, you are the recipient of those words that came out of my mouth. And yet you would tell me I'm too hard on myself. Church, we've got to start looking at these things in our life. If you think I'm hard on myself, I'm sorry, but I sit before the Lord and I say, just examine me, Father. See if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me into the way everlasting. And then he will say, we can't just give him mouth service. We must back it up with our actions. Our life and behavior should turn from wickedness, from unkind behavior. I'm so grieved by this. I can't even tell you. The stuff that I'm seeing people do and call okay. Church, we can't do that. We can, but we're not going to be repaired and refreshed. Humble ourselves. See, that's why that came first, because to look at these things in our life, things that we need to turn from, requires humility. It requires being willing to look at them. He says, turn from your wicked ways. That word wicked means bad in the manner of our thinking and acting. Anybody have any bad in the manner of thinking and acting going on in their mind? It means disagreeable, but here's what else it means. If you look this up in the Hebrew, it means sad and unhappy of the heart and mind. That was intriguing to me. The word wicked means sad and unhappy in the heart and mind. And quite frankly, I was battling with how they're tied together. When I am unkind, when I'm ugly, when I have bad thoughts I'm meditating on, when I am saying nasty things out of my mouth, all of a sudden I find myself sad and unhappy. And I don't make the connection why. And usually my sudden unhappiness makes me even more nasty and unkind coming out of my mouth. Do you see? But if my people who are called by my name will just humble themselves, look at that thing, pray, seek my face, and turn, then I'll hear from heaven and come and heal their land. I'm going to lift that unhappiness off of them. I'm going to lift that sadness off of them. Their wicked ways, that word ways means course of life. It means journey. It means walk. It's a moral character. This really ties in with that scripture in Isaiah 30, 15 that I gave you last week, and I just love it. And let's actually turn there because it's too good to just have me misquote. Um, Isaiah, uh, it's chapter 30, I think. Isaiah 30, verse 15 in returning, there's that word repentance that we're looking at tonight, turn from their wicked ways. In returning and rest, you shall be saved, delivered, set free, made whole. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. So in returning, in turning from our wicked ways and those unkind, nasty things we do, and resting that God has this and God has me, you shall be delivered, set free, made whole. In quietness, and me just... I want to respond to that. I want to react to that, but I'm going to just be quiet. And confidence, because I'm confident God has this, will be my strength. Do you love it? He says, if you just turn from your wicked ways, 
then, look at the then, if you do this, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. If then, the conditions must be met before that will happen. The conditions I need to meet, I need to humble myself, I need to pray, I need to seek his face, and I need to turn from my wicked ways. Then he'll hear from heaven and come and heal my land. I'll heal you, I'll hear you, and I'll heal you. Look at what he says there. He says, I'll hear. Our hearts need to be pure and clean for the Lord to heal. I hear. I, I don't care what you say. I can argue with you all day about that. God hears you, but the word hear there means he's going to respond. He's going to give heed to what you say. Even in New Testament, you see that husbands who don't treat their wife, David, I don't want to misquote this, as the weaker vessel, their prayers will be hindered. Um, if you don't treat your wife with respect and, and honor, your prayers get hindered. Uh, but, but so where was I going with that? God hears, but, but you, he doesn't give heed to if you're, if you're living in sin. Uh, Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished sin in my heart, I really like this sin. I like this unforgiveness. I like this bitterness. I like this anger. I, have, I like this need to control. I like this need to be right. I like being mean to somebody who's mean to me. I like it. I'm cherishing it in my heart. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. I, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't change scripture to make us comfortable. I just can't. That's what it says. Does the Lord hear you? Yes, but he doesn't give heed to. Do you see the difference? Alan Carr says, there is no more powerful force in the world than an unhindered prayer life. Oh, I love it. Because you see, the man who has the ear of God can be used by him to accomplish anything. But we need an unhindered prayer life. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins. I'll forgive what you just repented of and heal your land. That word heal there means, uh, this is fascinating. If you miss everything else I say tonight, don't, don't miss this. This is a promise of God. I'll heal their land. That word heal means right out of the Hebrew dictionary, to be healed of personal distress. I wonder how many of us are sitting here tonight in personal distress. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will free them from their personal distress. I'm with you, Renee. That just makes me want to bow. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. I agree. It means to be healed of personal distress, to mend, to cure, to repair, to make whole. That's God's word. That's God's promise to us. 1 John 1.9 says, if, if we confess our sins, the word confess means to say the same thing as God. It means we come into agreement with what he calls wrong. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who's the we? Who's writing this? First John, who's writing it? John. Who's we? He's including himself, so he's talking to believers. Man, this is my personal button. You don't need to repent. The blood of Jesus has covered you. Yes, it has. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He doesn't treat me like my sins deserve. I'm going to heaven no matter what. Because I've received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But the relationship, Davy, this man will stay married to me through thick and thin. I, I could be as nasty as I wanted to him every day of the, 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 the year, and he would stay married to me just because he is a loyal man who is faithful to his covenant. But what would that do to our relationship? Even though he'd stay with me and I could rest in that, <laughs> what would my nasty words to him every day do to our intimacy and our relationship? It, it would be, it would, it, would, it would really hinder our relationship, wouldn't it? We'd still be tight. We'd still be committed. We'd still have covenant. We'd have no relationship. And that's what happens with God. He says, if you just confess them, we are tight. I make this a habit in my life. On the way here tonight, I made it a habit in my life. I said, Lord, I just want to talk to you about some things. I want to keep a short record here. I want to talk to you about some things. I want to come into agreement with you about some things. Is it fascinating? Just fascinating scripture. So I'm going to have Ian come and, and just play and close out. But I, I want to do what my little country church did. <laughs> and I want to open up the, the altar if you'd like to come for prayer. If you'd like to just sit in your seat and pray, I, I, I get it. If you want to do that, that's cool too. But I just want to have, I won't keep you long. I just want to have a time of humbling, praying, seeking, turning. Let's just, let's just flesh out what we just learned. And let's just do it. Let's just take a moment, whether it's in your seat or you want to come up here it doesn't matter. I mean, don't, please don't be worried about cool points. It just bothers me. It bothers me. As a little girl, I was so impacted by the people who were courageous enough to get out of that row and come forward for prayer because it showed me that they were desperate. And that word seek really is, has that connotation of being desperate. But as Ian plays, I just want to, I just want to take you to that place. And I want you to just take a moment, even as he's playing and just sitting there. I want you to begin to just humble your heart. It's, it's really easy to see all the wrong somebody else does and all the areas that they need to change. But I, I just want you to talk to God about you right now. Just get in a position of humbling, whatever that looks like for you whether it's humbling yourself to come up here or humbling yourself to bow or to maybe get to your knees or maybe it's just humbling yourself and bowing your head. It doesn't matter to me. What, what does it look like for you? But if my people, oh, I'm so grateful that you're his people who are called by his name. That word name means reputation, fame. We're carrying his reputation. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus.
humble themselves and pray and seek his face. Lord, we're seeking you right now. seeking you right now, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Rain down in this place. Thank you, Lord, that you know what's in a man, that nothing is hidden from your sight. Lord God, I don't care how we dress it up. Nothing is hidden from your sight, that you're a God who knows. You love us anyway. You're a God who sees. So, Father, we just come clean before you right now. We come into agreement with what you call sin. And we confess it to you, Lord. We want free from the distress. We want to be made whole. We want to be healed, Lord. So we're humbling ourselves now. Turning, repenting, crying out to the one who can heal. Jesus. fire fall penetrate hearts Lord hearts that are hardened Lord I call right now those hardened hearts to be softened in the name of Jesus to be softened in the name of Jesus pride and arrogance that keep us from seeing ourselves, Lord, like we should. I I call an end to it now in the name of Jesus. I pray for a humbling now in the name of Jesus. You say that you dwell in a broken and contrite spirit, Lord. sit before you and we ask that you just put your finger, Lord, put your finger, your father finger, your Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer finger on whatever needs to change in our life. We give you permission, Lord. We give you permission. We give you permission. So many of us have tried to change ourselves. We are powerless to do that, Lord. We fall before you. We humble ourselves. We admit our powerlessness. And we acknowledge 
that you are able, Lord. And we turn and we wait for the power from on high. Times of refreshing, Lord. I pray for them. Times of refreshing. Cleansing, purifying flame, bringing refreshment in its wings. Jesus, Jesus. The name that's above all names. It's above every sin, every secret hidden sin. I know the name that's above that sin. I know the name that's above every personal distress in this room. I know the name that's above every regret and every ounce of shame in this room. I know the name that's above that. And I exalt that name. I exalt that name. I exalt the name of Jesus over addictions, over regret, over shame, over memories. I exalt the name of Jesus. I hear the word abortion. I exalt the name of Jesus over the regret of abortion. And I set you free now in the liberty that the Lord died for you to have. Tonight will be the last night you carry that burden. I'm releasing you by the blood of the Lamb poured out for you. I sever that tie to shame and guilt and condemnation now in the spirit and I speak release over you in Jesus name in Jesus name no longer a slave the enemy has kept you slave long enough no longer a slave Secret sins. Secret sins. Just even if you don't want to be done with it, ask him now to make you want to be done. See, we like our secret sins or we wouldn't keep doing them. There's a payoff. There's a benefit somewhere. It's a lie. It's a lie. Give it to him. Watch what he can do. He is your bondage breaker. Bondage breaker. I'm hearing in my spirit, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's what you're doing. You're preparing the way for him to just come forth in power in your life and for his glory to fill your temple. Be ye filled. Be ye filled. Overflowing. Overflowing. I pray against every tormenting spirit that is harassing lives in this room right now in the name of Jesus. I render them powerless in the name of Jesus. I take authority over them in the name of Jesus. And I speak peace and joy and contentment in their place. 
Some of you are listening to those voices. They're keeping you awake at night, tormenting you with anxiety and fear and worry. And I come against them as should you in the strong name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. And I command them to be silent now in Jesus' name. And I release the peace of God over you. The peace of God over you. Jesus. 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 Grief. I just hear the Lord. Grief. if your people and these are your people and they are called by your name and they have just humbled themselves before you and they're praying and they're seeking your face and Lord they're turning from their wicked ways I'm turning from my wicked ways and Lord God you promised that then you're going to hear from heaven and you're going to forgive our sin and you're going to heal our personal distress. You're going to heal and make us whole. You're going to strengthen us, Lord, and give us peace. And I stand on that promise, expecting, Lord, you to do just what you said you'd do. Now fill my brothers and sisters. Let them experience your glory like they've never experienced it before. There is so much more than what we're living. I pray for the more of God in their life, for the fire of your sweet Holy Spirit to saturate their lives. Lord, awaken souls. Awaken souls. I'm so grateful for your love. I'm so grateful for your faithfulness. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise.